0: Welcome to Hope's Garden and the Bridegroom Speaks podcast. Hi everyone. This is Father Michael and I am giving a talk today for Hope's Garden. Teresa of Avila is one of the great doctors of the church. Teresa of Avila had kind of a systematic way of approaching spiritual life. She thought that perhaps if she looked inwardly to the experience that she was having, that she could then describe that to someone else. And perhaps find any kind of steps along the way. Of course, this can be found in Teresa of Avila's The Interior Castle. As you look at what she was describing, perhaps those words and those experiences don't match up to the modern paradigm of thinking. And yet there is something very valid to the process that she then discovered and was sharing. One of the things that she found a bit frustrating was she wanted to walk with somebody who was very knowledgeable and who who could teach her along the way, how to avoid whatever pitfalls there might be and and how to maybe leapfrog past uh, those pitfalls and and progress on on the process a little faster. But she was very frustrated as she met with a lot of different priests as she would write, I never found a very intelligent priest. She found a lot of them in her day were not spiritual directors and there was no one who was writing about spiritual direction. They called it mystical theology in those days and they realized that spirituality was very real and people were having mystical experiences. But they weren't able to explain it to someone else and how to help somebody come into that experience now what's a mystical experience a mystical experiences when we encounter the spiritual realities in a way that we describe with our senses, even though it isn't always necessarily through our senses. So we talk about the way it looks. We might call that a vision. We talk about the way it feels, the way it sounds. What does the voice of God sound like? What is his message to you? And if we can break through, it's not just my imagination, which takes a certain level of Being able to distinguish, that part's my imagination. And this part is something that I'd never imagined. It came to me as if from outside, but I sensed it interiorly. And so she wanted to describe that and wanted to find a spiritual director who could lead her. The best spiritual director that she found uh, was actually a friend of her father's. And she was very brokenhearted when he himself lost his way and left the priesthood. And she felt as if there was something broken in humanity, in priests, in people that she met. But then she saw that this brokenness was even within her. She would reflect upon her mother's dying and the way that she developed as a young girl. And she would see, you know, maybe I'm being a little bit harsh, walking around pointing out everybody else's flaws. Maybe nobody's ever charted these waters before. I will do so then. She found a uh, kind of a kindred soul in the person of St. John of the Cross, who also wrote very extensively on his experiences, his challenges and difficulties about the consolation and desolation of the soul. So Teresa of Avila and John of the Cross began to write about their experience and then use it in a way that they can tell others how to help you have this experience. As you experience Christ, it happens kind of developmentally. It gets deeper, and as it gets deeper, it changes in the relationship. You might find that in your spiritual life, right now, you're having a difficulty speaking with Jesus. There seems to be a gap between the two of you, and in some way, you have to be humble and say, actually, there is a gap. God is God, and I am not God, and yet God has invited us in his great mercy to come ever so close to him, And it is the desire of your soul to do so, to be known by God, even though that seems a little scary. What if somebody really got to know me? And especially somebody so great and powerful as God and somebody whose love I depend upon. What if he got to know me and didn't love me? Of course, all of this is illusion. He already knows you and he already loves you. And he already wants to give you this great gift. But the process we need to get ourselves to really letting Jesus in is to start to recognize what's happening on the interior. How am I relating to Jesus at this stage? And not think, well, I ought to be like this, and better people would already be thinking these things, and I shouldn't feel such things. Take all those oughts and should'ves and put those aside for now. It really is an acceptance of the reality of my relationship with God right now and realizing I desire more, which is good and holy, because that more is more God, more closeness with God, more a sense of his presence and grace. As you go through the different stages, as she would call the mansions within a castle, uh, we might call them by different names. At some point, there has to be a little bit of pushback. As I come to know Jesus Christ, Jesus does actually say, you know, I do expect from you. Some of those expectations are very commonsensical. I expect you to be good and holy. I expect you to be loving. I expect you to forgive one another. We all know these things. That's that's very, very good. But there's a lot more to his expectation that people don't often talk about. God expects us to be honest. And it's interesting why. God already knows the truth. If I tried to deceive God, if I was going to give him a lie, it wouldn't work anyway. It would be rather foolish of me to even attempt it. And yet, we do this. We do this dishonesty out of a sense of trying to present ourselves to God as we think we should be or doing so in a way that prevents us from having to deal with some of our interior issues. It's a little bit like going to a doctor and you've got a broken arm. And instead of showing the doctor your broken arm, you show him the healthy arm. Why? Because you know, he's gonna try to straighten out that arm and that's gonna hurt. It's for your own good. It's the only way to healing. But nonetheless, there's a piece of us that wants to avoid that initial pain. This is the pushback of God. God reminds us, you know what? When we enter into relationship, you're gonna change. That's a good thing. I'm not trying to destroy you. I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. I love you as you are, but you are not your sins. You are not your traumas. You are not your pains. And as I begin to tell you who I see when I look at you You will desire to be that person. Let me do this. Let me in. As gentle as God is, he's not gonna force you. He's gonna wait until you're ready, but he's gonna push. He's gonna say, are you ready yet? Because I really wanna love you. As soon as you let me love you, I'm gonna straighten that arm. I know you're afraid of the initial pain, but trust me. Now I've gone before you, says the Lord all of your pains, anything that you've experienced, I've actually gone through myself. And so as you become honest with yourself, you'll start to feel a little pity for yourself. You'll start to say, look at all the bad things that happened to me. Look at all of the ways that I was offended. Look at all the ways in which others didn't have to deal with the mountains of troubles that I do. And you're doing this as kind of a justification of why you're feeling a little bitter, why you're feeling a bit depressed, why you're feeling like, I don't, I can't change. But this is not the voice of God. This is the tempter. The tempter has now snuck into the conversation and saying, you can never change. You are so unique. No one has ever gone down the road you've gone down. And therefore, there is no one who will ever help you. And Teresa of Avila said, oh, I know exactly what how you feel. And you have to know that Jesus Christ has actually gone through it. Whatever you're experiencing, he experienced. First, in his own passion. And second, with you. Now, there's parts in the Bible in which we get deep into the passion of Jesus, especially when we do the Stations of the Cross. We really want to get deep into it. I loved when I, I worked in El Salvador, they had a crucifix up on, in front of the church. And what I admired about this crucifix is it, it had little details that I don't remember seeing at the crucifix in my church at home. For instance, his knees were scraped. Well, of course, he fell three times. Boom, you can picture those knees hitting the ground. They made sure that they, you could see, kind of coming around his back, where he had been whipped. They would show the bruises on his shoulders where he carried that cross. The best way I could describe this spirituality was the artist had really put on the mind of Christ, had really walked through, into the greatest ability he could, what it was like for Jesus. But those who looked upon the art saw themselves. They saw the burden of their lives, and Jesus understood. The hidden wounds that we cover up with our clothing and our smiles, Jesus also went through that. And it goes much further than that. Jesus was rejected. Jesus was mocked. Uh, Jesus had moments in which he wasn't able to feel the power of his own father. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He knows the feeling, even if intellectually he knows God will never abandon him. He is one with the father. And yet it doesn't matter. He's trying to express the feeling. I know how you feel in those moments. And so as we embrace the passion of Jesus to experience what he did, what he endured, We realize he endured all that we endure, and even more so, the moment that you had your rock-bottom, terrible feeling, you're in the depths of darkness. Jesus did not abandon you. He experienced the depths of that darkness with you. Now, in Matthew 25, there's this powerful parable that Jesus gives. And it has to do with eternal life and eternal death. He says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you cared for me. And the people said, when did we ever do this? And he says, when you did it for the least of my people, you did it for me. And away with you who did not take care of the least of my people, for when you did not do it for the least of my people, you did not do it for me. Now, what is Jesus saying? He's saying he was there with the least of the people, and he experienced either the charity and love or the lack thereof. He experienced whatever the least were going through. Guess what? You were the least of his people on that very dark day, when everything was on top of you. And what you went through, he went through with you. He experienced it just as much. And those who reached out to you, Christ saw and will reward. Those who should've and didn't, he saw that too. But the point is that he put his heart and experience with you. When you are at your lowest, he knows what you went through. He was there. And the more that you embrace that, the more you realize it's a message of hope. I did not drag Jesus down in the depths of hell with me. He willfully, of his own free will, of his great love, crawled down there and grabbed a hold of me and said, come with me. I want to take you out of here. Just as that ancient homily goes, Jesus descended into hell for three days. And he went looking around all of hell, the place of the dead, calling out, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they said, as they said once before, hiding, for we are ashamed. And he said, I have washed away your sins. I have taken away your shame. Be freed of your chains. Come with me to paradise. Allowing Jesus into your life with a deep honesty as Saint Teresa would teach us, is allowing him to pull you out of hell, of the places that are so dark. For when you were the least, he was with you. And now be with him, with hope. For more resources and our consecration to Christ the Bridegroom, visit hopesgarden.com, the sanctuary where the spousal love of Christ the Bridegroom heals hearts, marriages, and families.